Hello, Acaville Radio. Welcome to Tacapella, Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. I am one of your hosts, John Lampus. And I am the other one, Brian Alexander. And I am the other one. Folks, we have a really exciting show for you today. First, starting off with the fact that I have just discovered Trader Joe's meat sticks, and it's really what? something. And I'm just, what are my life's sticks? been really revolutionized. Trader Joe's meat sticks and also those little pretzels that have peanut butter in them. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. No guest. That wasn't actually even Brian. That's just a recording that I use to provide myself comfort when I'm feeling lonely. And it's just going to be talking to you about these two food items from Trader Joe's. No, so no you're not going to brush. Oh, okay. He's back. You you're, broke the you're illusion. Not brush, you're not going to brush over the fact that you just said meat sticks. What in the world are meat sticks? It's, it's just like a little, it's just like a thin stick of meat. Like, that's like a thing, like kind of like jerky, but cylindrical and like very thin. Oh, okay. I'm even more confused, but okay, have you never, we'll have you that. never seen those? I don't think I've ever seen a meat stick before. Oh well, most of mine are at home or oh. in my classroom when I really need it. Cause that's what I do when I teach four <laughs> classes in a row with no break. I'm just like, all right, middle schoolers, I'm going to eat this meat stick really quick just to survive <laughs> you, being around you. You resort to whatever you can find on that schedule. Yes. It's meat sticks and <laughs> apples, but I think having an apple on my desk as an actual middle school teacher is very, it looks like I'm trying to make a statement about, I don't know, old American values and education, which I'm definitely not. It's professional John, you know, we got no problems with that. <laughs> Brian, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm I'm in a bit of a, a middle of the road kind of situation because I What's really want to see the, the new Joker movie. Wait, and you I've saw heard, it? Wait, you, you saw it? No, I have not seen it. I've heard really good reviews, but then my close pop culture friend that I spoke to last night saw it and he was like, eh, it's okay. I so saw I'm, it I'm last week. Brian, I think you will actually really like it. I saw it last okay. week and I, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty okay. good. Okay. I, I trust I your like opinions, it. so I'll, I'll go with that. As you should. As you should. So we're actually not going to be talking only about meat sticks and clowns today. We have a very illustrious guest who knows the ins and outs of this show better than either of us. It is our producer and acapella, actual acapella aficionado who knows everything about everything in acapella and everyone. It is Amanda Corneglia. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing great. Well, as you heard, yeah. meat sticks and clowns. So that's <laughs> okay, so I think. Are you sure that Trader Joe's didn't just repackage Slim Jims or? I'm not certain, <laughs> but I'm okay if they did because I've discovered them and it's like nine grams of protein and they just give me a boost when I'm just like trying to teach <laughs> these little kids how to sing and talk about their feelings and sing in French for whatever reason I decided to have them do that it's pretty fun and giving me that boost of energy should we we should be like sponsored by trader joe's but even though they didn't they have clearly <laughs> not sponsored looking for us. a sponsor just, yeah <laughs> fun insider fact that anytime i'm on tour or on the road inevitably i will buy beef jerky and then some kind of candy i just balance out the sugar with the protein that's smart always beef jerky but maybe i'll have to try the meat stick definitely not called meat sticks but that's just what they are to <laughs> me so like if you go and be like give me a meat stick they might look at you strangely i'm gonna do that and record it for oh, you john I'm just, i think of carnival food whenever i hear meat sticks for some reason it, i mean it sounds pretty yeah it's it's kind of bottom of the barrel like wait you you took what from who and you put it in your mouth like that kind of thing <laughs> um <laughs> but um for those of you who don't know, Amanda edits all of the Tacapella episodes, so she goes through and listens to Brian and I blather on and decides how much nonsense to cut out when I'm, well, really, okay, let's be honest. It's me who <laughs> says the nonsense. Brian, who always has very cutting insight into whatever we're talking about, Amanda goes through. There's a fair amount of nonsense, so. Yeah, but I'm always the instigator. I'm always the, <laughs> the nonsense, nonsense than instigator. You think. You're always so on, and sometimes I'm just like... 
Oh, man, don't know why, uh, why I'm talking about that right there, back when I used to edit the episodes. <laughs> but uh, we're so grateful to have Amanda as our editor slash producer, and she makes this show run, and it, we've been trying to get her on for a while, and we're really excited that we finally have her on. Amanda, can you just tell us a little bit about your acapella career, which is long, and give us the most digestible <laughs> version of it. You want the Cliff's Notes, yeah? So I started acapella in college. Before that, I had done traditional choirs, but I was in an all-female group called Special K, and they are almost 50 years old now, which is exciting. And from there, I moved to Japan, and I taught in a high school, Mm -hmm. so I managed a high school group there, and then word got out, so they had me start a community group of all people that didn't speak the same language. And then I moved to D.C. and found a group via Craigslist, and that group became Euphemism, which then branched off into Snow Day, and then Snow Day branched out into Clear Harmonies Productions, which I run with my husband. Been Charlie. Who has been on the show before Charlie Friday, fun fact. <laughs> yes, that was the weirdest one for me to edit. Oh, I believe it. Because Charlie was talking and then he's also talking in my ear. But we're used <laughs> to that kind of weird <laughs> stuff. But yeah, from there I joined Casa and then I went on to form Cal, the Contemporary Acapella League, and worked for Flow Voice for a little while. And now I am the manager of Acaville Radio, which is probably one of my favorite jobs yet. It's it sounds like it's a fun thing. I mean, anytime I'm over at Acaville, there's always something that you have done that we're either talking about or like somehow your presence is, is always around. So I made it clear there's like a bunch of different things we could talk about from all the stuff you just laid out. I'm curious, Brian and I have been talking more and more, not only with people from outside of the US, but also just talking about acapella from outside of the US perspective and starting an acapella group in Japan, especially with one that doesn't, uh, or that didn't feature a lot of people speaking the same language. I'm really curious about the kind of cultural experience that was for you and how that maybe compares to starting a group where everyone speaks the same language or starting a group in the US. Can you just talk about your experiences with that a little bit more? Because that sounds like a fascinating topic we don't always get the chance to explore. Sure. Well, in fairness, I was at the time fluent in Japanese and I Mm -hmm. still speak quite a bit. So that helped me. But that group was mostly housewives that were looking for something to do on Saturday mornings. So we had some Japanese speakers that didn't speak English and some that spoke a little bit of English. Then we had some women from China and Thailand and all the local international community. They would just kind of show up. So we would speak in Japanese and English and hope that we could get the point across. But most of the time it was like, here's the music. Everyone kind of knew what to do with a sheet of music. So we would just sing together. And that was really cool. That really drove home the point that with music, you don't really have to speak the same language because music is a language that people can share. And it was really cool to have this bonding experience with people who I would not have had anything in common with otherwise. Yeah, and I think that's super fascinating uh, because like you're touching on the idea of this whole universal language of music. Mm-hmm. And naturally, when John posed that question, I was like, oh, this is going to be really tricky with the, the whole language issue because I'm, I'm thinking every single group I have, I don't think we've ever had someone in any of my previous groups that English wasn't their first language. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned this whole concept of music kind of being universal and uniting you all to, you know, still accomplish your goal at the end of the day. So that's really exciting. It was really cool, and we competed in a bunch of local Japanese acapella competitions, and we sang for a bunch of different events for City Hall, and you'd never know that we didn't speak the same language. It was a really cool experience. I was only 21, 22 at the time, so it was nice and eye-opening. Did yeah. you feel as if in terms of just the performance, because you, you said that it really didn't make a difference in turn of the kind of results that you all produced, was 
the blend, the level of blend, the quality there that you experienced in previous groups and, and, you know, with people from just such various backgrounds? I mean, the emotional mm-hmm. blend was there. Pronunciation I was, was a little bit that. of a challenge. Literally different vowels. <laughs> yeah. Different vowels, different approaches. But we kind of worked around it. We did a lot of phonetics, so that helped. Would it win any Caras right now? Probably not. <laughs> Would they win like a Sojam or a Boss? Probably not. But that wasn't why they were there. Japanese music education is incredible, so... All the Japanese women could read music and sight read. That's cool. They could just plunk it out on the piano immediately. So they were all pretty high-level musicians, even though they swore they had never taken a music class. <laughs> What's acapella like in Japan? That's really cool because I took Japanese for three years and I love the culture and everything about it, but I know very, very little about how music kind of operates there within the education system and, and how that's contributed to their acapella culture. So yeah. Acapella in Japan, what's that like? There are lots of groups, more so since I was there. I came home about 15 years ago, but the groups are growing. There's lots of groups in little towns. They all get together for little competitions, just like we do here. And they're part of the bigger scene, which is Vocal Asia. Japan was actually the host of the Vocal Asia Festival last summer. Mm. The scene is growing. It's not as big as it is here in the United States, but there is a passionate core group of people that love it. And the Japanese people as a whole just love singing anyway. Karaoke comes from Japan. It literally means empty orchestra. (laughs) So that's what they do for fun. And I think they do have a level of music education that I wish was standard here. And also they do remember that anyone can sing. I mean, sometimes they need to ply you with some booze to get you to do that but they do still believe that everybody can yeah i've seen a lot of videos on uh youtube and and i killed so many hours just watching acapella covers of any and everything and i've come across (laughs) so many asian-based acapella groups and i've noticed that and you can feel free to correct me on any of this information i I tend to see that a lot of their groups tend to be a little bit smaller compared to some of the larger format groups that we have here and not only that they are well and and you mentioned that you know it's still kind of growing and kind of developing into its own thing. I've seen them dive into a lot of the American side of music as well. Mm-hmm. I've, I know I've seen a few groups like do covers of Duende before and I've seen them do yes. pentatonics and, and I've come across a lot of different groups who seem to have some kind of exposure to American based music. There's actually a House Jacks cover band called The House Dust oh, wow. <laughs> and they only cover House Jack songs. That's awesome. Yeah, so they love that. But, you know, when you learn something in a foreign language, it's cool. And there's a novelty they to have it, that yeah. same fascination. When you listen to J-pop, there's a lot of English in there. And sometimes it makes sense. And sometimes it makes no sense at all. But, yeah, they're super into it. And Decapella toured in Japan this summer. And they were so popular there. Hmm. There's definitely a market for it there. And I'm sure if or when Pentatonix goes, they are also super popular. Yeah, That's I would agree. really, really cool. Brian, you mentioned something that I find interesting. The notion of that, like your, you know, just like quote unquote research on YouTube, just looking at groups from Japan. <laughs> you noticing a, uh, groups that were generally smaller in size. Amanda, was that your experience when you were over there or was it just, was it a hodgepodge? They do tend to be smaller. They're mostly the size of our pro groups here, even for the That's community That's really interesting. My community group was a little bit large because there were no auditions or anything. So sometimes I had six or sometimes I had 13. My high school group only had four. And most of the groups that do more and travel are usually only five or six. 
which is a little bit due to culture. First of all, there's not a lot of space in most areas. Yeah. Hmm. So there's not a lot of room to practice with an 18-member group, an 18-member college group. I'm sure there are groups on college campuses, but they're mostly groups that form in the community outside of school. That's such an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. I had the chance to um, go to Japan here a few months ago. It's been it was on the top of my bucket list for places I wanted to go. And I definitely noticed that idea of things being kind of smaller, closer in space and things like that. And it's such an interesting concept when you mentioned that due to the culture and due to the spacing that it really affects the size of groups there. And, you know, just due to resources potentially. And I'm just I kind of compare that to American groups and a lot of my exposures mm-hmm. to college groups where you see 16, 18 member groups and it's just that variance is very just kind of mind-blowing it's so rare to think about even getting together a big group of people Mm -hmm. usually people hang out in smaller groups they hang out in smaller groups i was just there this summer and even finding a hotel room that could fit three of us was a little bit of a challenge i would be so curious to like see some kind of study on like all the different or just basic research, all the different eccentricities and like little nuances of groups throughout the world based on like cultural things like that. Like, okay, how do groups, Mm -hmm. you know, in China or Japan or anywhere else in the world, Sweden, whatever, like how do the things that are standard in that culture affect how those groups are shaped and I like what the environment they grow in because you know I think Brian you made a really good point like America bigger better all that stuff where in louder. Japan <laughs> yeah louder like all, yeah. all those things and how like a nation's cultural identity can affect how not only groups develop but how their the inner workings of their acapella culture develop and I, I think that would be so cool like generally like and I don't know this but like generally groups in Eastern Europe are like this whereas groups in Southeast Asia are like this and something kind of like that I think would be super super cool to see how everything is structured because we had uh, Philip Tornueva on a couple of weeks ago where we just talked about the difference in Canadian groups versus US groups and just hearing the comparisons there about well Canadian groups generally do this and we approach these things and we have these kind of infrastructures in place as opposed to whereas America has these ones in place just like I don't know some study like 10 years from now like okay how do all of these nations and countries and cultures develop their own acapella groups and how does that contribute to like a larger international acapella tapestry well now i want to go back and get a master's degree and do that study maybe i'll reach out to mark silverberg to help me with that and validate that it's some fascinating stuff especially as you know acapella has grown here in the states more and more and more and just really entered the cultural zeitgeist in a way that it hadn't before i think it's so cool for us to start looking out and start looking at what other places are doing because one thing that brian and i have talked about a lot on this show is what acapella can learn from other not even other like cultures but other just like other activities like one thing that i've talked about on this show a lot is one of the best i went to a choral convention my freshman year of college and one of the best recruitment strategies i'd seen was based off this guy who was an assistant football coach and he used the same recruiting techniques to get people for his choir and like what can acapella learn from other industries and other practices both homegrown and also internationally i'm excited to see how american acapella and all acapella can develop by looking at what other nations do like oh well, maybe we only have six people in this group and that's okay because in Japan, that's all you need. And just experimenting with the differences that other cultures are kind of presenting to us. Oh, so much. I've traveled a lot and Snow Day has toured overseas. We got to meet some groups in Russia and just seeing how they approached music in general was unbelievable. And then even just swapping genres, mm-hmm. I started 
as a classical singer, and then I got into contemporary acapella. And then in the last couple of years, I've actually gotten into barbershop, and it changes you when you learn something new, and then you can apply it back to the old styles, and they all blend into each other. Yeah, I love how everything's like so accessible now. I'm like, even from, you know, whether you're looking at it from a touring perspective, as you mentioned, like that you've done with Snow Day to even just the surgence of like YouTube and you can really get an exposure to other groups around the world and stuff. I, and I love that thought about uh, that John made about 10 years from now. It's going to be insane. And because I'm like, I'm thinking <laughs> back to some of the exposure I've had from, I guess, platforms over this past year. I've watched mm-hmm. a lot of UK based acapella stuff because they've had tons of of TV shows go on there and I think it's going to be amazing so I'm, I'm just curious like what have been your experiences with Snow Day and Clear Harmonies mm-hmm. in terms of what you've seen I mean overseas we got to sing with a Russian group that was very close to barbershop and then they jazz and then they brought us to this conservatory where someone was playing the accordion and someone else was playing the banjo and there was just so much music happening and yet they were learning from us and we were learning from them I mean, no pressure. They're like, here, we're going to bring you into these two top conservatories in Russia, and we hope you have something to teach them. Oh, man. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, acapella has given me so many opportunities. And because of my job, where I have to be a walking database of acapella, (laughs) and yeah, I get to fall down that YouTube rabbit hole all the time, and I get to go to festivals and see these groups that are doing incredible things. It's so far beyond the ICCA scene, Mm -hmm. which is where I think the U.S. has settled, which is great. I mean, college groups and high school groups here are amazing. But to see these groups that are doing just really out-of-the-box stuff. So, for example, when I worked for CASA, I did a lot of the programming for the festivals. And I had a theory on getting people to come to festivals. So we had the Butts and Seats group. So we would hire a group like Pentatonics or a group that everyone really wanted to go see. And then our second headliner would be the surprise group, the group that we wanted people to just be blown away by, a group that they would Mm -hmm. have never gone to see otherwise. So, for example, when we hosted Vocal Nation here in Washington, D.C., we hired Afro Blue, who was then Traces of Blue. So everyone in D.C. wanted to come and see them. And then we snuck in Cluster. Mm. (laughs) Literally, my staff had to stand outside the doors because Traces of Blue went first and everyone came to see them. And they were like, "Okay, show's over. We're not even going to stay for the second act. So we had to tell them, no, you will regret leaving. And so many people came up to us afterwards and said, we are so glad we stayed. And we're like, no kidding. We flew these guys (laughs) in all the way from Italy. Did you not think they were going to be worth seeing? I know. I've just seen videos of them online, and I'm just like, uh, these guys are amazing. So I definitely would have stayed there for sure. I think that's a really good point you made, Amanda, about how the U.S. has kind of settled around the ICCA scene. Like, that's what our culture has kind of crystallized around. Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot whenever acapella kind of, acapella into, and sort of choral music, but mainly acapella, whenever it kind of ventures out into the cultural zeitgeist and this is what Aaron has talked about a lot Aaron director the founder of Acaville and he's talked about a lot like okay look at some of the big things that were used to sell people on acapella and like you know like quote-unquote pop singing in general that paved the way for acapella stuff like Glee the whole thing is we got to get the sectionals we got to win the competition the sing-off competition based the sing-off movies competition based they just there's a new show on NPC which I'm not sure what I think of yet oh perfect harmony oh yeah 
Is it any good? I totally got okay. into it. It's yeah. very cute. It's a little campy, but Anna Camp is yeah. amazing. But it's so. that same thing, right? I just I saw like the thirty second trailer, and it's like the choral competition next week. You know, stuff like that. It's it's competition based, or not, it's not everything's competition based, but there is a sense of that is what our culture can revolve around a bit. And I think it's so cool when it's and like. And the worst part is it's like a church choir. Yeah, I know. Which is which. And mm. they're doing competitions, and I'm like, yeah, that's a new level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I think the sense of okay, well, competitions are great, but the more we can frame not only to actual acapellites that are singing and listening to shows like this, but the people who aren't necessarily in the acapella sphere, that it doesn't all just lead to a final like showdown or a riff off or anything like that, but actually that the international appeal of sharing music with one another, well, maybe that isn't as like sexy or like thrilling, <laughs> that that kind of stuff really is very growth focused and very kind of expands yes. your understanding of what acapella can be. And that's stuff that I hope, you know, I, I love the ICCAs and I love seeing all that stuff and I love going to the quarterfinals and, and all, all of that. But I'm hoping that more people outside of the acapella sphere will appreciate the stuff that isn't the competitions and is more in line with what you said about the international focus on sharing and growing from other cultures, experimenting in the same art form for the betterment of both sides. Yeah. And on that note, John, too, I, I think that the competition aspect, that was a good intro for a lot of people who yeah. aren't into the culture at the end it's of the day. It's a really good way to hook someone. Yeah. Yeah, I think the sing-off did great with it. Um, like even shows like Sing It On, which really followed the ICCAs and things like that. I think that that was a great starting step. But now, as you're saying, yeah, I think that we really need that substance to really go a little bit deeper into like, okay, there's so much more. There's, there's like so much more innovation in the music. There's so much more culture behind it at the end of the day. I'm like, it, it's all so fascinating that now that we've got their attention, it's time yeah. to really expose them to what really comes about. You know what it's like? You know what it's like, guys? It's like in Pokemon when you beat the Elite Four, and that's great, and you technically beat the game, but the fun stuff is when you try to get all of the Pokemon and finish the Pokedex after. Like, it's cool to win, it's cool to be the champion and beat the competition, but really, the depth of that comes from, okay, well, I did that, but now I'm going to go catch every single Pokemon. Is anyone following me here? Amanda, you lived in Japan. Uh, Tell me. I have a 10-year-old son <laughs> All we do is play Pokemon okay. and Pokemon Go. And <laughs> I somehow know all of these things about Pokemon that I never thought that I would. <laughs> it's not all about just getting to the top. It's about recognizing that there is more than the top. Is, is, it's I think a great that, parallel. Like, yeah. My whole career is based on that. Yeah. The ICCA existed while I was in college, barely. But we never competed. We never left campus, but competition does spur people to do their best yeah. to really hone in on what they can improve and spend time together. But ultimately, music is about so much more than that. I've made my whole career out of singing to eight-year-olds. I mean, that's the biggest part about mm -hmm. what I do. And we're not singing things like the Nor'easters or the Enharmonics. We're singing happy and can't stop the feeling and my girl and lion sleeps tonight. Oh my gosh, why do we still sing that? <laughs> people love it. But yeah. yes, people love it. And, you know, I talk to people and kids that want to be musicians all the time. And yes, I get a great deal of satisfaction, musical satisfaction, when the nerdy music theory part of me gets to come out. And I love when there are 18 people singing and the chords are just so full, crazy, and the arrangement 
has been changed and they've done the whole college acapella thing where they take a happy song and make it sad. Like all of that's really cool. <laughs> so but true. the feeling of being in a room with 800 elementary school students that are going bananas while I sing Can't Stop the Feeling, that's a whole new plane. And it's a completely different experience, but it's pretty cool. That's I, I think that's you just coined awesome. a, a new tagline for acapella. Acapella, we make happy songs sad. Like it's <laughs> so, gosh, okay, scatter tones, you're great, but man, the brown-eyed girl being like this ballad. Oh, I love that arrangement. Though. I love it too. I love it. But it's still, it's just like, you're my brown I know. eyed girl. So it's a perfect example. Everyone, we got to take a quick break here really quick. But as we go for a quick second, I'm going to just pose one new acapella kind of competition. Instead of a singing competition, we just have people fight. Just physical fights between people in acapella. That's so Deke American. Sharon throwing down with Scott Hoying. Like they think wow. like, oh, it's gonna be some new cool sexy show about seeing what not and then it's just it's just no. a, So we're talking WWE style or Yes, with the theatrics <laughs> and the and the folding chairs and everything. Oh yes. We we've got some big guests coming up on Tacapella and maybe I'll just be like, you know, the interview will be going great and then be like, You ever wanted to fight someone? Like and for for money? <laughs> I think that's how I'm gonna pitch him. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna be right back here on Tacapella. Acaville is broadening our network. We're introducing a new show and podcast called Vocal Perspective, hosted by myself, Rachel Schoenbaum, and the amazing Amanda Cornaglia. Each week, we speak with a new female or female-identifying member of the acapella community to talk about ideas, themes, and topics that affect us. Tune in at Acaville on Tuesdays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, or on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Acaville, home of Vocal Perspective. And welcome back to Tacapella. Thanks for joining us back on the show. We have been having a very fun and exciting episode with Amanda Corneglia of Acaville Radio. We've been speaking a lot on the kind of the culture of acapella around the world. She's given us some great insight. And not only that, we got to transition into some very fun, exciting ideas of what the future of acapella could be, specifically mm -hmm. acapella fight clubs, based on John's <laughs> preference. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the hey. future. Everyone's going to be like, the singing was great. And now, like, I, instead of a riff off, it's just going to be a, I don't know, rip on? <laughs> rip, rip, no, it's going to be like a rip off. Like, literally just fighting people you physically and getting really. No kidding. Yeah. There's always got to be some evolution. So clearly, that's where we're headed. Uh... So clearly, physical <laughs> clearly. violence is where we think the genre is. Clearly where we're destined to go. Get it next, next, the next person we interview who hasn't heard this episode will be like, so the general consensus now seems to be that physical violence is the future of acapella. What do you think about that? And just play it totally straight. And then they're going to be like, what? And then, Brian, you got to back me up and be like, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. where it's that's where the scene's really going, obviously, from the riots. And that's all literally the, what all the college groups want. They just want to battle yeah. to the death. Yeah. The Facebook Live recording of the ICCAs where the, the leads just started... Oh my fighting. gosh! Yeah, the okay. show's been not going off the rails here. <laughs> no, all not right. at all. So, <laughs> but it's always fun. You can never say that we're boring. Anyway, Amanda, you—we got to learn a little bit about clear harmonies. At least a, a slight introduction. I kind of want to jump more into that. It sounds like, based off what you told us, it started as kind of this Craigslist idea, which that's been a standard for a lot of groups before, and then it kind of went through all these different transitions, and then it's now also transformed into your own personal studio. So, could you tell us a little bit about? the yeah. transitions the group has gone through as well as you know more about the studio aspect of the group sure so clear harmonies is now an umbrella that oversees three performance groups 
Euphemism Snow Day and the Clear Harmonies Carolers. And then it's also live sound and studio recordings and arranging. And we also have an after school program called the Acapella School. So that all sits under Clear Harmonies. And it all came about really organically. Like you said, I answered a Craigslist ad and that group became Euphemism. And then a little over a year or so later, I hated my desk job. And we have a little meeting about every six months. And I said, you know what, guys, I want to quit my job and do this for a living. And serendipity, about two weeks later, I got this email from an educational arts outreach program saying they wanted to put an acapella group on their roster. So Euphemism went to audition, like a couple of us, and they loved us. And Euphemism is too hard for eight-year-olds to say. So that group became Snow Day. <laughs> that's a word that's a phrase they definitely know how to <laughs> yes. say yes and actually snow day's website not to put a plug in here or anything but it's i want a snow oh that's great <laughs> <laughs> that's that's smart where it really started to grow was when my husband charlie became the base of snow day and he was already in euphemism and he was doing a lot of studio work and he had some experience in live sound and i had the educational and organizational background and the network and we complemented each other pretty well. So we said, why don't we start a production company? And rather than saying we're just going to do studio or we're just going to do this, I had been to a seminar in Deke Sharon's living room in 2007, you know, before he became super famous. <laughs> and his theory mm -hmm. is if you're <laughs> able to get good at as many different things as you can because you never know when something's going to hit. And he's right. There were years where I survived on arranging. There were years when I survived on performance. There have been recent years where most of our money comes in from live sound gigs. So it's been good that I learned how to do all of them. And mm -hmm. because we've learned how to do all of them, we've also been able to bring on employees, which is a really great feeling. <laughs> when I get to write checks for a substantial <laughs> amount of money to my friends for finding you people to sing in front of. So yeah, everything just kind of grew organically our skill sets and what we were interested in and what the community needed at the time. I don't know how I ended up awesome. here other than I didn't want to sit at a desk. <laughs> and I think that's super <laughs> important because I think a lot of people who are into acapella, they think of the top level, the upper echelon, and they think pentatonics. I have to have some amazing performance yeah. group to really make it. And I think it's super valuable that we have you on as a guest to show that, hey, there are so many other avenues in addition to performing that you can really thrive mm -hmm. in when it comes to acapella, whether it be the advocacy part, it could be the educational part, it could be the technical side of it. And I love the thought that you just said, you know, there are some years that I did more than just perform to really right. make it. And, you know, that's a reality for people. It's redefining the terms of yeah. success in the acapella sphere. I, th I think that's really cool. Absolutely. I see these young, just coming out of college and sometimes even just high school, that want to start these pro groups. And to be honest, they're usually full of very, very talented people. And they start and they come in real hot. And then within three months, they've mm -hmm. died out. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to making a career out of this than just being talented. And it's the ones that really take the time to learn what those things are that stick around for the long run. I mean, Snow Day's never headlined a festival. That's never been our goal. It would be cool. So if there's anyone out there that wants to bring us, but you know, we're one of the acapella groups out there that is working the most. And most mainstream acapella people mm. have never even heard of us. 
and yet yeah. it puts food on my table and a roof over my head. <laughs> that's yeah. That's I, I. I'm just I'm just kind of processing this this notion of like okay, get good at a lot of things so you always have kind of an income, so you always have something that is providing for you for your family, all these things. I'm curious, what was your process, Amanda, in getting good at all of these things? Did you just sit down one day and like, all right, Deke said I got to get good at a bunch of stuff, so here's my <laughs> checklist? Because I've definitely had that where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a middle school choir teacher, I need to work on my piano, I need to do these things, and it's so often can just be I'm trying to juggle the multiple responsibilities I have in front of me that actively trying to get good at something else that maybe isn't the the sexiest thing I'm saying that a lot today (laughs) but like that isn't performing then it can be a little harder to convince myself like do I need to do this I mean like yeah I'd be good but but performing is really what I should be doing or that's really the like again like Brian said that's what's seen as the that is the the most cultural value yeah, that's what everybody yeah. wants. Yeah, so like how did you develop that skill set? How did you go about doing that? So I grew up right outside of Philadelphia, and I can only describe my upbringing as scrappy. <laughs> so if I wanted it, I had to go get it for myself. If I didn't know how to do it, I had to go learn how to myself. You know, it started in college when I joined my acapella group, and the group didn't actually use any written arrangements. We'd literally put a boombox in the middle of the room, assign instruments, and say, figure out your part. That's neat. So that's how I learned how to arrange. But I finally got tired of our songs not sounding the same every time we sang them. So I signed up for some music theory classes so I could actually write arrangements down on paper so the group could sing them forever and they'd sing the same thing twice. And then when we started euphemism, we'd get these gigs and the sound was either non-existent or it was very crappy. So I wanted to learn how the speakers worked and how the mixer worked and make my group sound good. And that turned into wanting to make other groups sound good. And then we recorded a few things and we went to some local studios and no one knew what to do with acapella and it was expensive. So it was like, okay, well, let's learn how to do this too. So it all just kind of snowballed. And, you know, when you can do it for yourself, it's a lot cheaper, at least Mm -hmm. out of your pocket, maybe not on your (laughs) mental health sometimes. So it's an eclectic, I mean, it's an eclectic field that has a lot of opportunities for those things. Oh, yeah. And I do a lot of teaching. That's what I was trained to do. My first job out of college was I was an English teacher. So the teaching part comes pretty naturally. Mm -hmm. And I did events planning. I did CASA events for a while and I had a professional event planning job. I planned our shows. We started inviting groups and it just... You start small and you follow the next step and the next step. And then you look back and you're like, whoa, I did a lot of stuff. That's really fascinating. Yeah. How about in terms of growing you all's base on, hey, we have this ability to provide sound for all these other groups because that's a big thing right now. So many groups are needing live sound, people that actually know how to mix vocals and really process everything correctly. How did you guys grow your audience and your customer base around that? We started with some very forgiving and patience college clients. And they said, hey, we don't have a lot of money and you don't have a lot of experience, but maybe we can figure something out. So Charlie and my first rig was cobbled together. It was really cheap speakers. It was a really cheap analog mixer. It was really cheap microphones. We started really on a budget. So we honed our skills and it was actually really good for me to learn on analog because there are some skills there, some tactile things that you learn how to do. The digital board makes it easier, but it's also really hard to mess up on an analog board. Like, you can't get it to sound great sometimes, but you also can't just completely destroy (laughs) it on an analog board. (laughs) Or it's really hard to. But then, you know, as we got better, we got better requests from better clients, better shows, 
And so over time, we traded up for a mixer. We traded up for better speakers. We traded up for better microphones and then more microphones. So we went from offering just only area microphone shows with old JBLs to now we can fill halls of 1,000 to 2,000 people and we can offer 25 microphones. So that feels good that we grew all of that. And we didn't have to take out huge loans to do it. Mm. We just kind of replaced things as we needed to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were really good up front about saying, okay, hey, we're not going to take any money from this show. We're going to put it towards the band budget or the company budget. And we'll just take that entire paycheck and we'll buy better things. I think that's a great note for groups out there, aspiring groups out there, just to when they're thinking about the finances and the money that they're making to actually invest back in themselves, because it's so easy to be like, how we're going to divvy up this money or maybe we'll just save it for, you know, some social outing. But you guys made the smart decision to let's invest in ourselves. I think that's that's super cool and a note for groups out there. Yeah. And it helped. I had a desk job for the first five years that we were doing all of this. So I wasn't relying on each show as my meal ticket. So I could just say, okay, I'm not going to get paid for this show because I already have all my bills paid. Mm-hmm. And you can put that towards infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, what would your advice be for people who are maybe trying to create an acapella career from themselves similar to you? One that's not necessarily just like, well, I like you said, I want to be a pro group and that's <laughs> all I'm going to do. Like, obviously you've talked about uh, building an eclectic skill set and being able to do a bit of everything. But I'm curious, like as we talk a lot about the acapella industry, mm-hmm. and I think that can sometimes be an amorphous kind of like, well, which part of it? There's a bunch of different things. It's kind of like the, you know, the music industry. Okay, well that encompasses like a bunch of... <laughs> different industries there the movie industry all these things so i'm actually like curious what would you define as the acapella industry what are like the different kind of markets and the different kind of opportunities out there and what would your advice be on tackling those for maybe someone who's hoping to become an acapella professional like you all right well invest in your mental health (laughs) first and this goes for any creative field when you are making your money based on your artistic talent and art form it is very hard to separate your ego and creativity from the business side. And you have to, mm-hmm. you know, people write reviews and they're like, this video sucks. And my response now is, <laughs> oh, well, I can't live off of that. I can't harp on that. Otherwise I'd be dead by now. But yeah, make sure you can separate your ego from all of the rest of it. And, you know, sometimes people aren't going to like what you do. And also if you're still in school, take some business classes because I had to learn everything Mm. the hard way. No one ever pushed me to take a business class. They're like, oh, Amanda, you're gonna be a language person. You're gonna be a musician. You're gonna be a creative. Why would you take a business class? Oh, because now I'm running a business and I have to write 25 paychecks a month and deal with a budget, file taxes (laughs) for businesses. There's a lot that I had to learn by doing with websites and social media and hiring and firing. And there's so much that I had to learn just by doing that business classes might have been a great first step to take. Mm -hmm. But also just be willing to say yes. There were a lot of weird gigs that we took those first several years. And even recently, we've taken some weird gigs. Wait, what's the weirdest gig you've had? What's the weirdest (laughs) gig you've had? This is something Uh, we ask a lot of people whenever we've had a lot of fun stories from asking that kind of question. What's the weirdest gig you've had? Sorry to interrupt your deep insight. I want to hear about this. (laughs) Oh, you do. So there's a resort in Paw Paw, West Virginia, 
and they reached out to us and said, we'd love to have you come and sing for our festival. And I'm like, okay. And then they said, you know, it's a little bit unique. Do you know anything about our resort? And I'm like, no. They're like, well, it's a nudist oh, resort. <laughs> I oh, knew it. Man. I knew that's where I it was going. I no idea this was coming. Wow. So, and they said, well, and our artists, they can perform with clothes or without, but the audience will likely be naked. So, you know, that whole theory of imagine your audience naked. Yes. Well, our audience was naked. Oh, man. <laughs> it was fun. And, wow. you know, John, you're probably aware of onsen culture in Japan. It's their hot springs uh-huh. and everybody yeah. is naked. Yeah. And I had this realization the night before that it was like, oh, it's just going to be just like onsen. And so all of a sudden I was in the right frame of mind and I was like, OK, I don't have to be naked. And we found like after a few hours of being at the resort, it was actually weirder to see people that were wearing like one random article of clothing than to just see people fully <laughs> naked. <laughs> and I will never unsee the man with the belly dancing chain oh, on no. dancing to Lion Sleeps Tonight. I will never, ever unsee that. Th- that's wow. an image I don't think I can get <laughs> okay. out of my head now. Now that I've just pictured that, <laughs> I'm really sorry. It's, that's it's all right. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is that is the weirdest gig I could have thought of. So, <laughs> all right. But I'm like, we've heard so, some stories before. I think that one takes the cake. Now that I'm really trying to think. Back. Yeah, we've heard a couple. We've heard some. Christopher Woo! Harris is one Good that has given us some great stories. Oh, his story was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay. So back to your insight that I before <laughs> I wanted sorry, to hear I apparently about the people. nudists. so saying yes to a lot of things and being willing to take the weird gigs and willing to kind of find i don't know the opportunities as they come does that sound about right i mean never go for less than you're worth but you do have to put in the effort and you do have to put in the time Mm -hmm. especially if you're coming into this now because the professionals that are out there doing this have been doing this for decades now Mm -hmm. so you're competing with their expertise and their experience and their skill level so you have to be willing to put in the work and you've got to be willing to stick it out, you're not going to make it overnight. Like Pentatonix. Pentatonix didn't even make it overnight. Mm -hmm. They got dropped by their record label. They went up on YouTube and they built themselves back up and even better. So if it doesn't work in the first six weeks, don't get down on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think what's acapella growing at the rate it is, I think the opportunities are definitely there, but I think it's also important that you're saying that, hey, you know, you have to really invest in yourself. You have to really put in the time, of course, and to really develop those things that you might not have, those skill sets at the end of the day. So I think it's very possible. I know many times in college, I think the one phrase I kept hearing over and over from so many different people that were really in acapella was, you know, I went to school for this, but I majored in acapella, and now you're proving that hey it is actually possible to do something with that major so it's, it totally yeah. is and yeah. you know you don't have to be like me where i learned how to do live sound and now i get mm-hmm. paid to do live sound but if you're a performer and you learn a lot about live sound it only works to your advantage because when you go into a situation and you're working with a sound engineer you get a better result because yeah. you can speak his or her language yeah. so all of this helps you even if you pursue only one specific aspect yeah that's man that's cool and i think this is just a lot of good knowledge for anyone who's looking to break into the industry or climb their way up into it to understand especially again because acapella industry is a very vague term and knowing what is out there and what your opportunities are and what is kind of required to do so because you know they're not teaching classes 
in undergrad about how to make it in the acapella industry. This is a culture that is just in a very unique place. It's all, it's exciting, but I think a lot of it can seem very uncharted. Yeah. Um, it is. And the sources in which you're kind of getting that knowledge is different. You know, maybe, you know, you're not taking a class, you're listening to a podcast on, oh, that's what I got to do to get a job in acapella, stuff like that. It's not about reading a book. I need to reach out on Facebook to the people who have done it and get the names and all that stuff. And I think that's really cool that I think it's just a neat industry to be a part of right now as it's in this very unique place of Yeah, and it's absolutely going to keep growing. This isn't the end. This isn't the peak of acapella. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I would say on that is be nice. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what <laughs> yeah. field you're in. Acapella is so small. And I can't tell you how many gigs that Charlie and I have gotten over other people because people tell us, oh, well, you guys are nice and easy to work with. So when it comes down to it, if you're of equal level skill or even close to equal level skill, people will work with the people that don't drive them crazy <laughs> or people that you don't have an awful history with. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a key yeah. note because I think a lot of times we hear in our culture of just like the acapella groups, they tend to be drawn to one another so easily and they're really on the same page in regards to the collaboration and doing stuff. And then, you know, it all derives from that niceness factor. So that that's super critical. <laughs> I mean... We're singing. We don't need to be cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're singing without instruments. No well need for the hostility, of course. Very, very well put. So we got to take one more quick break before we wrap up this episode with Amanda Corniglia. And stay tuned because we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. Each year as we travel the world here at Acaville to bring you coverage of festivals and events, we have a chance to sit down with some amazing groups and artists. Starting on our new show, The Pulse, you'll get to sit down with them too, alongside host Rachel as she brings you some of the best of our interviews from the different festivals and workshops that she's attended. Check out The Pulse every Tuesday at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, and then again on rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. East, 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. West. Hello, Aka people. Welcome back to Talk Appella. We have been speaking with... Uh, <laughs> hey, you can put Aka into anything. It, it works. Hey, I've never hey, heard people. Perfect. I've taught never us heard anything that. Is you can it's so Aka. obvious, and yeah. I've never heard hey, that. That's going to be our thing for our show now. Aka people. Gr- okay. Great. <laughs> or at least the one I'm bringing us back in from uh, our breaks. Anyway, Great. we've been speaking with Amanda Corneglia about really investing in yourself. I'm like, if her journey has taught us anything, it's really to invest in yourself. And she's shown us the benefits of doing so in our acapella centric world. And so, Man, it's been really eye-opening, and it's been great to show that, hey, there's real potential out there for those who want to look into a a life of field with acapella. So with our last segment, as per tradition, we always ask our guests if they could offer a piece of advice to the acapella community, whether it be a specific individual, it can be the community as a whole. You know, we like to pose to them, what would they say? So Amanda, we pose that same question to you. Oh, I should have remembered that you asked for one individual. Mm, Uh... (laughs) Let me think on that. No one's ever done it. Not really. No one's ever seriously done it. They say, and then I'm like, yeah, we've always wanted to hear to one individual. And then they're like, oh, we have a thing. No one's ever really done it. Oh, yes. Okay, Okay. I have one. Okay. I'm going to go directly out to Deke Sharon and tell him, call me. You know I can help. But for real, I would encourage people to explore outside the music that you think you like. I, for the longest time, wasn't a big fan of Barbershop. And now it might be my most favorite thing to sing because it's really fulfilling and it's fun and it's a great community. And I never would have done it had I not had a job where I have to go and live stream and network with people that are doing all of these different styles of music. And I learned so much. So 
don't just stick to one style of music. There's so much more out there beyond mm -hmm. top 40 slash the Spotify deep cuts. So don't just look at a style of music and say, nah, mm. there's nothing there. There's so much more you can learn if you're open to going beyond. Well said. Very well said. And Amanda, if people want to check out Clear Harmonies, if they want to check out Snow Day, if they want to check out all the stuff you do with Akavel, how could they do that? Oh boy. Well, just email me at Amanda at clearharmonies.com and I'll funnel you to the right place. Clearharmonies.com is our website. And spend some time on Akavel.org because yeah. there are a lot of great things on there. 24 hours a day, you can sit and listen to acapella all day long. And we also feature a ton of great content on the website. And we live stream a lot of the weekends during the school year. And maybe John and Brian will interview you. Or maybe me and Rachel will interview you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe Aaron will interview you. It's super cool to be interviewed. You feel really important. I want to be interviewed. John, I'd bring you on my show, but you're but not it's a girls. girl. Yeah. That's okay. I'm glad it exists. That is totally fine. Thank Brian, you. if people want to get a hold of you, man, what, uh, where can they find you? As always, you can find me on Twitter at the Brian Alex, or you can always go and check me out on all the different mediums that I run college acapella through, whether that be on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can find me in the same place at John Lampus on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check out Tacapella at our Twitter at Tacapella and check out our website, tacapella.org. You can find us on iTunes and make sure to check out everything that's going on with Acaville Radio at Acaville Radio. As Amanda said, there's just so much cool stuff. I've been part of this organization for almost three years now and it's been, oh wait, no over three years and it's man it's been super fun just doing the stuff we do here and it's so great to have members of the team on the show so amanda thank you so much yes, for coming you. on today you gave us a ton of great insight and just great conversation thank you thank again. you so much and thank you for editing all the episodes <laughs> by the way just my always, pleasure just a good thing to thank you for y'all i will have these files to you asap Wonderful. because you already have a third of them all right everyone that's gonna wrap it up for this week's episode of tacapella thank you again amanda for joining us and we will see you next week and for everything acapella please stay tuned